Hi, everyone. This is Kelly Clark, and I want to first apologize for the length of time between this podcast and my last. My computer took a complete dump, and the program I used for recording my podcast went along with it. I had to watch YouTube video after YouTube video to preset the recording program to my liking, and I was having one hell of a time getting the updated version of the recording program downloaded because it was updated and then set back to how I wanted. I apologize in advance if the sound quality isn't the best. I finally just decided to record and fine tune as I go, hopefully improving with each episode and getting back to where I was. Moving forward, you are listening to episode 12, part four in the series hit list, Let's Talk Barriers to Optimal Fat Burning. If you haven't yet listened to episodes nine through 11, I recommend you do that prior to listening to this episode. In episodes nine through 11, I review 26 of MWLW's 33 challenges to optimal fat burning, and you don't want to miss out on those. In this episode, I will walk you through challenges 27 through 33. As a reminder, this list is 10 years in the making. Every item is based on clinical feedback from our patients that myself and all of our nurses have observed over the years. While you may have glanced at this list during a follow-up appointment or when we've posted it on social media, my intent with this particular podcast series is to expand on each of the 33 challenges in the hopes that when the reasoning behind each of the challenges is explained, you can better understand exactly why we are making the recommendations that we do ultimately leading you to better plan adherence and thus maximizing your weight loss success. Let's do this. Number 27, are you having yogurt or kefir? For the purpose of the MWLW plan, yogurt and kefir are not approved items on our list. The reason comes down to this. There are enormous variances in quality and nutritional value from one brand of yogurt or kefir to another. There are well over 100 varieties of yogurt on the market, and as kefir grows in popularity, there are more and more varieties of this as well. At MWLW, we have set forth easy rules to follow that provide us, the MWLW nursing staff, with somewhat of a predictive idea of patient result expectations. If we were to add yogurt or kefir to our approved items list, we have just added one hell of a wild card variant into an equation we know works and has worked for the vast majority of our patients over the past 10 years. Simply put, I am not willing to welcome yogurt or kefir into our program at the risk of our patients experiencing some optimal results. My advice, stay away from these items while you're on plan and your mission is to lose weight. By bringing them in, you are going to affect the rate of your weight loss. Number 28, do your appointment times vary from week to week? You do not need to schedule your follow-up appointment the same exact time each week or the same day each week for that matter. Great if you do, but don't feel like you must. Life is all over the place and schedules change. What's most important is that you're coming in weekly. Weekly appointments do hold you accountable, and you can't underestimate the psychological power of accountability and how it lends to your success. If one week your weigh-in is seven days apart and the following it's six or nine days, it's okay. You do what's best for you when it comes to getting in as close to once a week as possible. As far as timing of your appointment, there is something I want you to be aware of. The average person will put on anywhere from three to seven pounds during the course of their day. This is 
totally normal. As you eat and drink throughout the day, you do gain weight. Other factors play a role as well, such as exercise and bowel pattern. This gain is temporary and you will auto-regulate overnight and upon waking up, you're at your base weight. We don't expect you to come in first thing in the morning. This just isn't possible for a variety of reasons. You schedule your follow-up appointment according to what works for you in your schedule. But keep in mind, if you come in for, let's say, a 6 a.m. appointment this week and a 5.30 p.m. appointment next week, your weight will be up compared to the week prior despite doing all the right things. Does that mean you really gained weight? Probably not. You put on the normal three to seven pounds one does during the course of each day. Now, we do record your appointment time in our charting, and oftentimes we have to talk a patient off a ledge as we explain the concept of weight gain due to appointment time variance. While this is normal, it's a hard pill to swallow seeing that total number rise. What we suggest is you try your best to come in around the same time for each weigh-in. It doesn't need to be exact, just in the general time vicinity. If follow-up times are similar from one week to the next, it's like comparing apples to apples. When timing varies significantly from week to week, it's more like comparing apples to oranges. We can still compare, but it's just not quite the same. At the end of the day, you do whatever you need to do to get in weekly, even if your appointment time does need to vary quite a bit. Just remember what I told you. You will gain three to seven pounds of temporary weight throughout the day. Despite this, you will see weight loss occur. It's just not going to be accurate to compare numbers from one week to the next. This is when we must look at the big picture rather than getting lost in the minutia of comparing water and fat to that of the week prior. It just won't make sense. And quite honestly, it's a waste of time. Number 29. Are you taking over-the-counter liquid or gummy or lozenge-type meds or supplements? A few examples might be liquid NyQuil, Viactive Chews, Tums, Metamucil, gummies, sugar-free cough drops. Well, first let me provide you a little bit of perspective. The average adult dose of NyQuil contains 19 carbs. As an alternative, do the gel caps. Viactive Calcium Chews. Directions suggest two per day. They're four carbs each, so that's a total of eight carbs. Stay away from these. Stay away from any candy-type supplement. Opt for a quality pharmaceutical-grade capsule form. Tums. Each contains approximately one carb. Instead, do famididine, also known as Pepsid. And you can always talk to a pharmacist about what he or she recommends. They are incredible resources. Famididine begins acting within 15 to 20 minutes, and just make sure you go with the type that you swallow, not chew. Gummy supplements, even those labeled sugar-free, contain anywhere from one to four carbohydrates per gummy. Instead, find a non-candy form supplement. We're not toddlers. We don't need our medication or supplements disguised as candy. Metamucil. Regular Metamucil contains 17 carbs per the adult recommended dose. Rather, if you need Metamucil, go with a sugar-free variety. It's still going to contain anywhere from 2 to 6 net carbs per the recommended dose, but it's better than the regular. If you do need to take Metamucil, look at the labels and find the brand that has the least amount of carbohydrates. Sugar-free cough drops or throat lozenges. Sugar-free doesn't mean carb-free. We've talked about this. And this, too, is the case with cough drops. Assume that each sugar-free drop contains a minimum of 0.5 carbs per cough drop. Assuming each cough drop has 0.5 grams of carbs per drop, well, if you're going to pop like 20 of them per day, you've just consumed 10 grams of carbs. Using a cough drop for symptom relief shouldn't be avoided simply because you're on a keto diet. Just don't pop them like candy. A better alternative might be an herbal tea containing ginger and or lemon. 
While the carbs contained in some of the items I just discussed may not seem significant to you, I'm going to tell you it is. Let's put it like this. The amount of carbohydrates one can ingest per day and continue to lose weight or burn fat does vary, but that line between your carb threshold for fat burning versus no longer burning fat is incredibly fine. For example, the average woman in her 30s or 40s with moderate metabolic damage may be losing fat just fine while ingesting 17 net carbs per day, but find her weight loss slows or halts when she consumes upwards of 20 or 21 carbs per day. Now, I'm oversimplifying this because fat, protein, and caloric intake also matter. But to demonstrate my point, if your carb threshold for fat loss is about 17 net carbs per day, but you've started popping like four tums per day, yes, this most definitely can slow your fat loss rate down. I'm not lying to you when I tell you the macronutrient intake line between fat loss and not burning fat is that slim for many of our patients. Number 30. Changes to your medication regimen? Let me first say, please always let your nurse know of any changes to your medications, such as newly prescribed meds, changes in your medication dosing, up or down, or meds that have been discontinued. Medications can most definitely play a role in weight gain, as well as the rate in which you experience weight loss. I'm going to briefly discuss some of the more common weight gain or perceived weight gain culprits when it comes to prescription medications. These include birth control or hormone therapy, steroids, antidepressants and antipsychotics, beta blockers, diabetic meds, and epileptic meds. Of note with the epileptic meds, this particular class of medications is also used for treatment of other health issues, including chronic pain, migraines, and bipolar disorder. Medicine isn't perfect. Sometimes a medication that can cause weight gain is also a medication that saves your life. Obviously, no reasonable person is going to quit a medication just because it comes with an extra 5 or 10 pounds. I am not going to take the position of telling you that you need to discontinue a particular medication or medications. Rather, I am going to assume you are taking a med or meds for a reason, and you have a damn good reason for remaining on it. Number one, hormonal birth control. There are basically two types of hormonal contraception. Combined methods, which contain both estrogen and progesterone, and progesterone-only methods. In a review of the literature, there is little evidence supporting an association between combination contraceptives, again, the kind that have both estrogen and progesterone, that is associated with weight gain. For women using progesterone-only contraceptives, such as the mini pill, hormonal IUDs, or implants, studies show a slightly more likelihood of weight gain, a mean gain of less than 4.5 pounds. Of the variety of hormone birth control options available, more significant weight gain was found with those using Depo-Provera, also known as the Depo-Shot. A recent study showed that in the first six months of use, one out of four Depo-Shot users gained upwards of 5% or more of their starting weight. I will tell you that this is a common complaint that we hear from our patients that have used or are currently using the depo shot as their method of birth control. Number two, steroids. Steroids are most often prescribed for management of inflammation, and for some folks, they're on them long-term, while others are on them intermittently as needed. Steroids do increase your blood sugar, which can cause fat gain, particularly in those requiring long-term steroid therapy. You often hear how steroids cause water retention, and this is true. However, it's more the case in those taking a steroid for a week or less, and this short-term therapy is often referred to as a steroid burst. Steroids can increase appetite, and long-term use can result in loss of muscle mass. If you're on a steroid short term, it's for a reason, and you're not likely going to lose weight during that time that you're on it, and maybe even for a week after. Once the steroid is out of your system, you'll get back to quote-unquote normal, and weight loss will resume. For those on a steroid long term, weight loss is going to be more difficult, but it's not at all impossible. It may be slower, and your carb intake threshold for weight loss will likely be minimized, but we can work with that. 
Number three, antidepressants or anti-anxieties and antipsychotics. You will find a lot of conflicting information when it comes to weight gain and the use of antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications. Some studies show very little to no weight gain, while others reveal a likelihood of some weight gain. What's very interesting is that the weight gain is attributed to an increase in appetite, but is this because a person is feeling better emotionally, or is it an actual side effect of the medication? This, we're just not sure of. Weight gain on an antipsychotic medication is much more common, and the gains are quite a bit more significant, although the effects vary depending on the medication prescribed. The reason for this is due to a reduction in insulin sensitivity, thus making it easier for the body to store fat. Number four, beta blockers. Beta blockers are used to treat a host of conditions, including high blood pressure, heart failure, migraines, glaucoma, and anxiety. It's theorized that as beta blockers slow one's heart rate, they also slow the metabolism. Weight gain can occur as a side effect of some beta blockers, especially the older ones such as atenolol or metoprolol. The average weight gain is about 2.6 pounds. In the cases that weight gain does occur, it's typically within the first three weeks of therapy, and then it generally stabilizes. Newer beta blockers, such as carvedilol or Corig are not known for causing weight gain. Number five, medications for diabetes such as insulin, thiazolidinions, and sulfonylureas. In the case of insulin and sulfonylureas such as glimepiride and gliburide, insulin levels are increased, making insulin more available for the body to transport glucose out of the blood and into the cells, where it can either be used for fuel or be stored as fat. And number six, Anti-seizure medications, which, as mentioned earlier, are also used for chronic pain, migraines, and bipolar disorder. There are many medications within this class, but some of the more commonly prescribed are clonopin, lamictal, lyrica, gabapentin, tegretol, depakote, and clonazepam. The prevailing theory with this class of medications is that it affects your hunger hormones, making it more difficult to feel full and satisfied after a meal. They may also decrease your metabolic rate and influence water retention. This is important, so I'm going to mention it again. If you're on any of the medications or class of medications that I just talked about, there is a darn good reason. Not everyone is affected by the meds I just discussed. In fact, weight gain is often found in the minority of its users rather than the majority. Can you lose weight if you're on any of these medications? Absolutely. We see it all the time. Could you possibly be losing weight a bit slower than you would be if you weren't on a particular med that I just mentioned? Maybe, but maybe not. We just don't know. You should never remove yourself from a prescriptive medication without consulting your provider. If you fear your weight loss is being hindered due to a medication, talk to your provider. There is always a risk-benefit ratio to all medications that must be discussed and understood. Even if one of your meds did or does affect your weight, this is an obstacle that can be hurdled with some fine-tuning to the MWLW plan. Most important, extend yourself some grace. By eating on plan, you are doing great things for your overall health and well-being. You'll get there. It'll be okay. I promise. Number 31. Are you working out more than three days a week for greater than 30 minutes at a time? Everything you've been told, eat less, exercise more, it's a lie. I'll reserve the entirety of this subject to a separate podcast, but for now, here are some truths regarding exercise related to weight loss. Number one, exercise alone will not result in significant weight loss. I mean, maybe it did when you were in high school, but not anymore. Number two, exercise will not make up for poor eating or overeating. Number three, 90% of weight loss is based on nutrition, not exercise. And number four, exercise will surge your appetite, and sometimes significantly. To be exceedingly clear, MWLW absolutely supports exercise in moderation. Exercise is very important for both your mental and physical health, but it does not result in significant weight loss. 
And when done in excess, it can actually slow things down. When discussing exercise, I want you to know I'm not talking about a daily walk outside or on your treadmill. I'm talking about the type of exercise in which you're sweating quite a bit, where it might be difficult for you to carry on a conversation, and in which your heart rate is increased significantly above your baseline. Walking is great. Do that every day. And yes, walking is a form of exercise, but that's not what I'm referring to here. I won't go into depth right now with the MWLW exercise recommendations. We'd be happy to provide those to you if you'd like. Just ask your nurse at your next follow-up appointment if you'd like to learn more. Rather, I want to briefly explain how too much exercise will slow your weight loss progress. And the reason is twofold. Number one, when your body comes to expect intense activity on a daily or nearly daily basis, it prepares. It understands this routine, and in preparation, it wants to always assure you are provided the fuel needed to carry out such activity. While you take energy from fat cells, which I'll refer to in this section as your fuel stores, during exercise, you are depleting what the body considers its daily reserve of fuel that it needs to allocate towards your routine exercise regimen. Here's the issue. Your body understands you are going to do this very same thing to it again tomorrow, so it prepares. It wants to restock those fuel supplies. Essentially, it will make it a priority to replenish those very same fuel stores you just extracted from to make sure they are ready and waiting for you tomorrow. Do you see what's happening here? This never allows for a net loss to occur. Rather, the body diligently strives to keep fuel stores the same. Number two, the body views lengthier, intense exercise sessions as a stressor, and as a result, your body produces the stress hormone cortisol. This is completely normal, and in fact, it's very important. Without cortisol, you couldn't work out at all. However, your cortisol hormone is meant to be produced in short spurts and not over long periods of time. When your body is exposed to cortisol for lengthy periods, it starts to produce negative effects, such as weight gain and or difficulty losing weight. I also want to mention that on the days that you do partake in a prolonged intense exercise session, you must consume all six tablespoons of the required fats as listed in your program guide. This whole concept of more exercise leading to slowed weight loss is a difficult concept to grasp. I get that. Many have to learn this the hard way. When they get to about week three or four of doing the plan, and then their fat loss completely plateaus. Exercise in moderation is great for you. There are many benefits to regular exercise, including enhanced muscle tone and strength, increased insulin sensitivity, and this is a big one as this can expedite metabolic healing, improved bone density, and it can do wonders for your mental health. But when it comes to weight loss, nutrition is the key. Number 32, are you having those pre-packaged cauliflower pizza crusts or store-bought cauliflower mashed or veggie tots? Be very aware of the many products now available on the market with the term cauliflower or veggie labeled on them. 99% of them contain other ingredients such as cornstarch, brown rice flour, white rice flour, tapioca starch, yeast, and sugar. You'll see tots, pizza crust, hash browns, breadsticks, and more all attached to the term cauliflower or veggie. Are these on plan? No. And really, it only takes a quick glance at the ingredients to discern this. At MWLW, we are educating you along your weight loss journey, and this is part of the process. So don't let yourself be fooled by these products.
Now, I realize there are some cauliflower pizza crusts on the market containing ingredients more consistent with our approved MWLW list. However, we can't objectively tell you how to count it. We simply don't know how many cups of cauliflower or how many eggs or how many cups of cheese, etc. are in one crust. I caution you on these products as the unknown part of the equation does jeopardize the macronutrient range we're striving for. My advice, stay away from these particular items for now. Bring them in in maintenance when your objective is no longer weight loss and when the unknowns about such items won't affect your progress. Number 33, elevated stress level, poor sleep. Have you been sick? Elevated stress and anxiety, poor sleep and illness all affect your weight loss journey. Unfortunately, many of these variables are just part of life. So what do we do? Moderate exercise and meditation can decrease elevated cortisol levels associated with stress and anxiety. I suggest exploring the vast amount of helpful books, websites, and phone apps available to help you help yourself. Sleep is when we heal. Lack of sleep leaves you susceptible to the hormonal effects of stress and anxiety and leaves you far more susceptible to illness. You must work to diligently establish a decent sleep schedule. Again, there are many resources out there to assist you with this. I'm a huge fan of the supplement Rust Reset or Melatonin and Magnesium. We do carry these products at both clinic locations. I take these each night shortly after dinner and I swear by it. Now, illness is a part of life and when you're sick, you likely will not lose weight. Your body is in conservation mode and it's going to put the brakes on fat loss due to its underlying commitment to conserve you. Remember, fatty acids stored in fat cells are nothing more than the body's way of conserving energy for when it's needed and when you're sick, that conserved energy is going to stay put. I can't recall where I ran across this analogy, but it stuck with me. When your body is stressed or anxious or when you're chronically lacking sleep or you're sick, stress hormones including cortisol rise. Our bodies do not differentiate the reason for this rise in stress hormones. Is it because we're being chased by a tiger or is it because we're stressed and sleep deprived? When the body is in a physiological state of stress, it conserves energy. Its priority is not to allow you to lose fat. It doesn't want to let go of that storage. In fact, it flips to a state of conservation. So remember this when you're not losing. Reflect on your mental state as well as your sleeping schedule. I don't make up the rules. I'm just helping interpret them for you. It ultimately is up to you to do something about it. Well, we're finally done. I've reviewed all 33 challenges to optimal fat burning. I hope you've enjoyed this series. If you have a subject you'd like me to discuss on a podcast or a question I can include in a future listener question episode, I'd love to hear it. I encourage you to email either the Racine or Greenfield office email and let me know. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and consider giving it a five-star review. Until next time.